I invite you to please pray with me. Eternal God, wash away our dust and fear. Gather us into your strong arms as you stoop down to speak to us this day. Silence in us all the noise and startle us with the eternal truth that Jesus spoke and that his disciples bequeathed to us. Bless our thoughts so that we might bravely walk forward to dwell with you. Amen. The writer of John's Gospel paints a portrait of both a muscular, larger-than-life Jesus and one who repeatedly demonstrates to his followers that he is of divine origin, focused on purely a divine purpose, and he ministers with a divine power. For God so loved the world, God took on human flesh in Jesus to break down all of what prevents human life from flourishing, and Jesus shows us a way to live. The prologue of John's Gospel proclaimed, to those who believe in him, he gave the power to become the children of God. Jesus works signs to awaken belief, always pointing to God, and Jesus tells his followers over and over again that the worst of human challenges they will overcome because of his union with God. Jesus gathered his closest followers for a last meal together, and that night he stripped to the waist, knelt on the ground, washed their feet, and commanded them to love one another. So I invite you to imagine this half-naked Jesus, aware of his moral demise. He stands before you, and you know that your life is as threatened as his outside of those walls, and your feet are still dripping wet. Listen to this conversation from portions of John chapter 14. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God, have faith in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. Otherwise, I would have told you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I am coming back to take you along with me so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and so how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you this whole time, Philip, and still you don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I do not speak on my own but it is God who dwells within me who does this work. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. In fact, will do greater works than these. I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Here ends our reading. I want to open with a simple story about my mom. It's Mother's Day, and I miss her. I know some of you miss your mother or the mother's love if it was from someone other than your mother. Some of you I know will never see your mother again. And we know of so many mothers who are absolutely stretched to the limits. 
Dementia robs my mom of an ability to quilt and sew and cook and all the things that she taught me to do. And dementia also robs her of the ability to hold much of a conversation as her world continues to shrink, creating a loneliness that even companionship doesn't seem to cure. During her decline and when we could be together, we pieced together jigsaw puzzles created especially for those with dementia. It's a, most of them are beautiful puzzles, but the pieces are just a little bigger in case you've got arthritis or some dexterity problems. And they're all uniquely uh, cut, the pieces. Um, and I will say that they appeal to even someone who doesn't think she has cognitive decline. Um, and as we would do them together, as with other jigsaw puzzles, we'd start at the edges and we'd work our way in. My mom wouldn't look at the picture as a guide. She would just look at the pieces before her. She couldn't connect the two, but she could connect the pieces and she could imagine how things fit together. The puzzle we reached for most often bears a Shaker-style image of a country wedding with a bride and groom alighting to a horse-drawn buggy. There are kids abounding in wildflowers while a black-robed minister stands off to the side and just beams at young love. At the center of this Shaker image stands a white-steepled country church with a sign in the front churchyard and the sign proclaims a simple truth. God is love. This puzzle always brought a smile to my mom's face, not only to piece everything together, but to create an image she knew in her heart that she had lived and taught. God is love. The current puzzle craze causes me to remember those times. Once our stay-at-home orders began to pervade our nation, our shopping habits revealed not only our obsession with masks and Clorox wipes, but we have emptied every single online retailer's shelves of jigsaw puzzles. You cannot buy a new jigsaw puzzle today from a normal vendor. I've been buying them at three times the price on eBay. Early in the 20th century, Parker Brothers began to produce jigsaw puzzles to educate and entertain. And as demand bulged during the Great Depression, they learned to hire women to make these puzzles. You see, at the time, women had mastered the treadle sewing machine. It was a sewing machine in which you manipulated your feet on a treadle to power the machine to actually sew. My mother learned to sew on a treadle sewing machine. She won 4-H projects for all of her quilting, and she was wonderful at how she could sew. And decades later, she tried to show me how to coordinate my feet. I knew how to sew. She tried to teach me how to coordinate my feet going up and down to power the machine, while I also guided the fabric through the seam so that I was sewing it and not putting the needle through my fingers. It's not as easy as you might think. Parker Brothers knew women possessed the skill of a treadle sewing machine, so women had the skill to cut large images into interlocking pieces to create a jigsaw. They used a treadle jigsaw, hence a jigsaw puzzle. I was so excited to learn that. During the Great Depression, 10 million jigsaw puzzles were sold each week. A jigsaw puzzle had nothing to do with food on the table, but that's the consumption we had of jigsaw puzzles. They were simple games and inexpensive entertainment to ease the anxiety of the time. 
Last month, with four billion people in quarantine across the world, we bought so many puzzles that some websites merely stated, we cannot fulfill orders anymore. Now, I used to be in business, and I can't imagine essentially saying to my customers, just go away. And that's what they're saying. We're doing jigsaw puzzles. Putting together a jigsaw puzzle releases your mind from worry by requiring you to concentrate to see, to really see the graded hues and shapes within the image, and to search for the correct fit between the pieces. You look for patterns, and sometimes you can stare for so long you miss the obvious, and then with patience the possibilities just come before your eyes. Completing a puzzle bestows a sense of control and structure, two very elusive sensations in our lives today. And perhaps a subtle analogy of the reason why puzzles soothe us or connect us today is because it feels as though our lives have been cut apart. We no longer fit together as we once did amongst family or friends or coworkers. We don't recognize the masked faces of our friends and neighbors in the store. We feel disconnected. And in some homes, teeming with people, claustrophobia has set in from so much crowding that we feel just as alienated as if we were living alone. Many of our activities and hobbies that once filled our lives are like pieces that have disappeared altogether. And we grieve those missing comfortable routines. It's like we have set before us an unknown number of pieces to assemble, and some are on the floor, the dog ate a few of them, and we don't have a photograph of the intended way to solve this puzzle. Fundamentally, we know our lives will not go back the way they were before, and yet we wonder about the way forward. Jesus led his ministry with clarity of purpose and an unwavering confidence in his relationship with God. He often warned his followers that his way of life is not easy. It demands choices. And his way is the only one that leads to a life with God and a life that nothing can destroy. For three years, Jesus disrupted the norms that segregated and controlled people by politics, religion, culture, tribes, and all the ways we can find one another. It's as if Jesus took a jigsaw to the landscape of their lives and sawed it into myriad pieces and simply discarded those that were toxic. And while he broke apart, Jesus knit together a beloved community, teaching those who followed him the basics. Serve God first, heal the sick, feed the hungry, Respect the dignity of human life, protect the vulnerable, and be fair with one another. Be fair. As the disciples followed Jesus, their loyalties shifted, no longer serving those small gods that consumed, but instead became dependent upon the divine power Jesus revealed. And as much as those disciples' lives may have appeared unmoored and scattered while following this itinerant rabbi, in reality they grew intimate with each other and with God. Jesus' ministry culminates in a last meal of simple gifts and a clear command, 
love one another as I have loved you. You see, Jesus needed to sear that command into their hearts as he then next said, I am leaving to be with God, and you know the way to follow me. Thomas, the twin who stands in for us now and then again later, asks, where and what way? The way is quite simply to do what Jesus had always done, care for the lost, the least, and the lonely, teach compassion by the way you live, stand up to the bullies, pray, pray to God, and love one another. For three years, the disciples had lived the way that leads to truth and life. That is the way that leads to God. Yet Philip's fear speaks for all of us. Can you show us? Can you just show us God? Not backing down, Jesus presses. You saw me feed thousands from mere scraps of bread and fish. I calmed raging storms, and I raised Lazarus from the dead. You've seen what God can do. So here again, the promise Jesus makes to Philip and to all of us. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will do the works that I do. In fact, will do greater works than these. I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. So do you wonder, do you wonder what they might have asked for that night? A week later, years later, amidst rubble, those disciples saw possibilities. Loners built a beloved community. And we know Jesus bequeathed to them a power in which they created a world reflecting God's love. We rest on the legacy of their belief Christianity spread like wildfire when no one would have thought that grace and love could vanquish the grip of Caesar's money and power. By calling on Jesus, they interlocked themselves into a force of good and trusted Jesus to fill the chasms of any missing pieces with new life. Now, six weeks of sheltering in place and staying at home is akin to 40 days of testing as recorded in scripture. Moses retreated to the desert for 40 days. A simple meal sustained Elijah for a 40-day trek to Mount Horeb. And the devil tempted Jesus for 40 days as he fasted. 40 days measures the limits of human endurance. 40 days is also a time for mourning Saying goodbye to a beloved people or aspects of our lives leaves gaping holes. We grieve in proportion to how much we love. Faith tradition asks us to honor such loss by wearing sackcloth and ashes. And in that time of mourning, we are to lean into grief and not pretend our lives are just fine. And at the end of 40 days, we make a way forward. Those disciples knew it. Jesus' death utterly shattered them, and yet they witnessed God's power to claim victory over death, to bring life from darkness. They made a way forward, and so can we. After 40 days of stay at home, we look to the future. And before we debate how and when we reconnect our lives, 
Perhaps we begin by asking, where are we going? Are we going to listen to Jesus and follow his way of truth and life? And if we humble ourselves to his ways, remember that he promises we will do greater things if we ask in his name. And what we ask in Jesus' name reveals just how powerful we think God is. To press the metaphor of a jigsaw puzzle again, our future is ours to imagine. So let's imagine a future with no child ever hungry or without medical care. We might continue to walk gently on this earth so streams continue to run clear and wildlife thrives. As we let go of stay-at-home orders, may we continue to embrace the rest of Sabbath with God and from that frenetic pace we'd had before. Can we imagine a world in which no essential worker is treated as disposable? And would we no longer press nurses and healthcare workers into the role of martyr, but let them just merely offer the tender care to which they felt called? Can we ask God to be with us as we seek to soften the hearts of hatred that kill a young black man for exercising in mid-afternoon? And let's wonder about a community in which we continue with neighbors helping neighbors and knowing each other's names as we had never done before. Let's imagine that kind of neighborhood without any of the vitriol we'd had before. We become children of God not through human endeavor or through human goals, but by relying on God's power and presence to knit together a community that allows everyone to flourish. A way forward with God's help is ours for the imagining. So make a list. You've got time right now. What will you ask Jesus as you make a way forward? And if it's not us, who? And if not now, when? My friends, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in Jesus. Alleluia. Amen.